Today on the Dad the Best I Can show. The thing is that we have life or death feelings about things because underneath our rational cortex, the, the mammal brain creates life and death feelings about everything. And when you're not actually threatened by a predator, those predator threat chemicals are released for smaller things like your big brother getting something you don't get. So that's whole that's whole one huge discussion of being in the one up position versus the one down position. That's a huge life or death thing to the mammal brain. But then separately is the brain learns from rewards. Once you get rewarded for something, your brain builds a pathway that says, "Wow, this is the way to go." So frequently a child gets rewarded for bad behavior and even the most aware parents are going to do it sometimes and I was not that aware. Um I didn't really understand this at the time. Welcome to the Dad the Best I Can show. My name is Rob Roseman, who wants to be a millionaire legend, Chicago futures trader, Vegas poker pro. Now I'm a dad to three kids, ages 7, 5 and 2. Phew. Where's me out just thinking about it. Each week we bring on high performing dads like you. Entrepreneurs like Jesse Itzler, CEOs like David Cancel from drift.com, athletes like Ken Rideout, best-selling children's authors like Zach Bush to tell us your stories, your dad tips and tricks to help all of us make it through dad life. We have a brand new website over at dadthebestican.com. Go on over to dadthebestican.com and sign up with your email. It's 100% free, of course. Be the first to hear brand new dad guests and get weekly dad tips in your inbox. How else are you going to keep up with the roller coaster that is dad life? We are running a really fun dad challenge every single week. We talk dad life and learn from dads much wiser than us. We're using an awesome free iPhone app called Spar. You know how hard it is to make a new habit stick like running, reading, writing, even flossing with the Spar app. You can win or lose real money with a group of friends to hold you accountable. It's a lot of fun and it seriously works. Find out more about the challenge at dadthebestican.com. There is a new challenge you can join right now. Okay, enough out of me. On to today's show. All right, welcome to the Dad the Best I Can show. I am super excited about today's guest. You guys are in for a treat. Get ready to have your minds blown and see how your brain and your kids' brains really work. We are mixing it up for the second time ever. Our guest is not a dad. She is a management professor who retired early to study brain chemistry. That's what we all do when we retire, right? I got to retire really early. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Loretta Bruning is a mom. She's a new grandmother and she is the author of the amazing book Habits of a Happy Brain. She's the founder of the Inner Mammal Institute, which has a ton of helpful videos and articles online that explain how we can manage the ups and downs of our mammal brains, which any parent can attest can feel like a roller coaster when your kids are young. Hi Loretta, how are you today? Great, nice to be here. Thank you. Where are you calling in from? California, Northern California. All right. So a a former guest on the show actually, my friend Mike Barnhill that I met, he 
unprompted mailed me your book and said, you have to read this. And I'll be oh, honest, I, I picked it up at first and I said, oh, another kind of self-help uh, brain book. And I put it down. And then I think a month went by and I had a stressful day of parenting. And I was like, I'm going to pick this book back up. And I, for the past like four weeks, I have not put that down. I've been addicted to your content. Your, uh, your videos are great. And I'm, uh, it's, I'm excited for you to share some of this with other dads and parents who could benefit from learning what the hell is going on when their kids have a meltdown or when they feel like they're not doing a good job as a parent or when they think everyone else in, on social media has it all figured out. So excited <laughs> to have you. So many different issues. Thank you so much. Yeah, a lot of people tell me that they do it with a highlighter. One person wrote, I went through two highlighters when I read it. Yeah, every page seems like it's mind-blowing because there is a lot of stuff out there, self-help, self-improvement that is fun. But this has really been just like really eye-opening for me because it's kind of, it's scientific, but it's also, it's practical and it really does explain a lot. So Thanks. Well, the, the, in my view, um, because I retired early, I didn't have to stick to the academic approach. Um, but it's not spiritual either. So it's science, but academic is different from science because academics do things in silos. So the person who researches X is not allowed to talk about Y. So I connected the dots of research that was not just in different fields, but was done over the past century that had sort of been lying around and was politically incorrect, frankly. And so I put the pieces together. Yeah, I like that. You're not afraid to uh, disagree. And I've heard you even just say, well, actually, that's not what, uh, that's not what I meant here. So I'm excited for you to <laughs> push back on some of these, these theories and stuff. And I do, fittingly, I'd like you to explain why my uh, five-year-old threw a 40-minute fit yesterday because he didn't get the same Pokemon card his brother got, and it's no fair, but I, we should probably start with uh, what are well, we could. Do you want to start there? Well, yeah. I mean, we, I kind of was... start there. Yeah, yeah. Since I've learned these things from your book, I'd like to maybe share... Yeah, we could start with that and really talk about what the brain chemicals are that are kind of behind all of our behaviors and our kids' behavior. Sure. That's, this is a funny coincidence because... I don't usually do anger, but this morning I was writing uh, in my, um, working on my new book and I thought anger is really something I haven't talked about. So I should, <laughs> I should put that in there. Um, so first we're all born animals and our kids are animals <laughs> and we have to learn how to restrain our natural impulses. Now, screaming is the first skill we're born with. So a newborn baby is hungry and they can't do a thing about their needs. So it's scary, like you have needs and you can't do a thing about it. So screaming is what they can do. And so that's the first skill. And so then we spend the rest of our lives sort of trying to moderate and redirect that impulse, which is, oh no, my, I'm going to die because I have this need and I can't meet it. You know? Right. Yeah. We're even seeing it with our two-year-old. It's like, okay, the whining for everything you want, you're, you, you can use words now. Let's start to start to do it. But, you know, easy to say in theory, like a lot of parenting things and harder in practice. And I guess a lot of that is because we have these brain chemicals uh, coursing through our, our bodies. 
Uh, yes. And the thing is that we have life or death feelings about things because underneath our rational cortex, the, the mammal brain creates life and death feelings about everything. And when you're not actually threatened by a predator, those predator threat chemicals are released for smaller things like your big brother getting something you don't get. So that's whole, that's whole one huge discussion of being in the one up position versus the one down position. That's a huge life or death thing to the mammal brain. But then separately is the brain learns from rewards. Once you get rewarded for something, your brain builds a pathway that says, wow, this is the way to go. So frequently a child gets rewarded for bad behavior. And even the most aware parents are going to do it sometimes. And I was not that aware. Um, I didn't really understand this at the time. And so I rewarded bad behavior. And they're going to repeat any behavior that gets rewarded. And as you've probably heard, intermittent reward where, where the tantrum or the whining works sometimes, but not all the time, that motivates um, a, an animal to, to do it more. Mm -hmm. What is uh, an example of it? You would always think, why would I reward bad behavior? But I'm sure I'm doing it all day. What is an example like of a parent rewarding bad behavior that's kind of reinforcing this habit? So basically, if you say, no, you can't have that, and then they scream, and then you decide, you know what, I may as well just let them have it. It's not really a big enough deal. You know, I'm so mature, I'm going to pick my battles. I'm not going to make a big deal over this. That's how I justified it to myself. And so basically, my kid learned that if I say no, all I have to do is scream, and then I cave. <laughs> Been there, yes. <laughs> All right. And it's, it sounds easy to say no, but they're excellent uh, persuaders with their and eventually, you know, maybe it is like we talk about chemicals, like maybe it's my cortisol is just exhausted, and they know eventually exactly. they can break me down, right? Yes, exactly. And, and um, let's focus on the solution now to that one that I wish that I knew when oh, my please. kids were young. Please. So um, because first of all, each of us approaches these situations with neural pathways built from our individual past experience. So whatever happened in your home when you were growing up and you say, oh, I don't want to do that, you know, but that's the fear is that you fear that it's immediately going to go there. So if you say, you know, you can't have the cookie, for example, and the kid screams, then in my case, I would have gotten blamed for causing the conflict. And that's what I, I always felt like I had to keep my kids calm because if there was conflict, I was going to get blamed for it. So first it's being aware of what are the predispositions you're bringing to the situation and then thinking, how can I create an adult solution to this with my current level of thinking rather than just automatically applying the filter that I built when I was a kid. And we could talk about how those filters built. So in this case, what I, what I needed to do that I didn't know is to feel confident about adult authority, is to say, to remind myself, give myself my own rewards of saying, I know that I have a good reason for her to not want the cookie, and I'm doing a good thing, not a bad thing, by 
making a consistent statement that this is not a time that we're having cookies. We can do X, Y, Z, other fun thing, but we're not going to have a cookie and that I'm doing something useful by saying it in a calm way. And just keep reminding myself that I'm doing something useful rather than starting a conflict by, um, by making this statement. Yeah, that makes sense because a lot of it is isolating because you're not getting any positive feedback on being the bad guy in that instance. Yes. And I'm sure a lot of times I even think, and you know, my wife says to me, she's like, why are you saying no to this? And it is. I, sometimes I'm like, why can I not let them play video games? I don't know. It's a, is it a control thing? Is it I just want to them to you know, oh, find okay. and respect yeah. us? It's like the whole pick your battles thing does has, have some merit, but... I yeah. think that's, that's really good is that you're saying you have to really believe that what you're doing is right and has been. Yeah, but here's a huge thing. If your partner is not on the same page, then that and mine wasn't either. Um, uh, and um, it's a it's a huge thing. So it's really important. You know, all the books say you got to be on the same page with your partner. And yet, of course, it's hard to agree on everything because you and your partner have your life or death feelings about issues built from your own childhood. So what you need to do is in a calm moment, you know, discuss together, you know, let's, let's get our shared priorities. So maybe you have a strong reason to not want your kids to be video game addicts. And your wife doesn't see that as a problem because maybe she was never tempted to be a video game addict, whereas you saw a lot of people, you know, going down that road. So in a calm moment, you discuss with her, okay, these are the things that we're going to prioritize. And a usual couple's negotiation is, you know, you both hear each other out and you come up with some, you know, maybe you, you acknowledge one of her priorities and she'll acknowledge one of yours. But the point is that in the moment, you both, like a, a famous example would be a parent who has this fear of the child getting fat. So every time you let the child eat X, Y, or Z, they have a big fit. And so you may not be worried about child. So we're all worried about whatever was a problem in our own childhood. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, the stuff with the screens I'm fascinated about, and I want to talk to you about that too, but in a lot of ways, giving in is in the moment easier. I mean, there's a reason I say yes. after 30 minutes, fine, go play games, get away from me. I can't hear this anymore. And I'm, now that I'm reading your books, I'm like, am I just, you know, is that a neural pathway that I'm soothing or that it's just like, okay, now I can relax a little bit. And that's, I think one it's, it's, it's hard work to be a good parent, I think is what I'm learning. It's a lot easier to just give in. Now, I guess long term that backfires on us. But uh, that's when you're new, you know, that's, that's the hardest thing to learn is that. Yeah, yeah. Well, what if, um, I, I mean, I, I have to admit, I was terrible about this with the screen <laughs> thing. And again, I always had my little rationalization. And in my case, it was um, my career, of course. So in this case, you definitely need and deserve downtime. So the question is just whether you can have 
what way of getting downtime do you want to model for your kids? Do you want to say, hey, let's hang out together for a half hour and then we'll both go our own ways for a half hour and do something else? Or do you wait until you're so frustrated and angry as okay? You know? Mm -hmm. So so again, a positive lesson you could say, well, okay, if I'm gonna give them some screen time anyway, let's model what is a healthy way of giving oneself screen time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's I think a lot of that comes down to being intentional and planning because so much of this is just reactive, right? It's like that's how they I don't know if it's just their brains are I guess their brains aren't developed or they don't have as much control over their, you know, frontal cortex, but when we start acting like that, then it's two kids yelling at each other essentially. And uh, we're trying to, you know, be the grown up here, but that can be hard when uh, stuff starts to go haywire inside our heads. Yeah, yeah. So um, here's um, an interesting thing about um, uh, the, the the positive planning of um, uh, of of our time and energy. Kids really don't get engaged in things as much. You know, the whole like the whole ADD issue. It's like, that's, that's pretty natural for kids. So we have to have reasonable expectations about how much time kids are going to spend focused on entertaining themselves. And on the other hand, if a kid never entertains themselves because it's so much more fun to needle you, and then they don't really learn to entertain themselves because needling you is just always there as, as an option. So they haven't really learned. So the way I learned this lesson, um, I brought my kid to a Montessori school at three years old and they wouldn't take, they, they wouldn't take her because she wasn't napping. And long story short, they said, if she doesn't nap, you have to leave her in her room for an hour. Um, just let her, just leave her and let her entertain herself. And that was so hard for me that I had to set a timer. Um, so you could start with, you know, one minute, two minutes, three minutes. But the idea that the kid can be left to entertain themselves for certain amounts of time and to do it in a calm way rather than, oh, I can't stand you anymore, go play, because then it makes it a negative. Mm -hmm. All right, so maybe planning how you're gonna respond to things. And yeah, we, I did just order on Amazon two timers because I'm like, I don't wanna be the bad guy saying no more. I'm like, set this timer, when it beeps, you're done. And yeah, we're, all, we're always hacking solutions together. So I'm glad I can combine it with some of the, uh, you know, maybe the, the chemistry and everything that's going on in our heads. So am I right in thinking that like when my kid says everything right now, he's got the kind of the middle child syndrome, it's no fair, he's five, his brother's seven, so he's got more stuff, more friends, some of these things. Yeah. Is he suffering? Is that like, uh, I, mean, I mean, maybe you can, this is a good time to explain kind of what yeah. the four chemicals are in our brain. Is that, is that what's going on? Sure, sure. Um, first, um, can I ask you, like, um, 
what what is the past history that you bring to this being a middle child issue? So I'm one of two. I'm the older child. So a lot of this okay. is just like really unfamiliar to me. I'm like, you get all the attention, but uh, uh, he's got a baby sister, a two year old and a big brother. And he wants, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure he feels in his mind kind of left out. I mean, I think he gets the most attention of the three, but just naturally between one being a girl and one being a big brother, that's probably not how he feels. So I'm trying to empathize with him. But I would really like to, you know, I'm not going to convince him, but just kind of develop maybe better responses to these meltdowns. And me saying life's not fair is probably not connecting in his brain to be like, oh, you're right. This is not a big deal, right? Yeah, well, they tend to do what works. And so it, it seems to me that the not fair argument has gotten you to engage with him. Right. And and I, I was so terrible about this when my kids were young that they figure out what they need to do to get you to drop what you're doing and focus on them. And each kid figures it out and mine certainly figured it out. So yours is using this strategy. So as much as you want to be empathetic, you know, on the other hand, um, for your child to learn to see himself as a victim and having a bad life is not helpful to them. So you definitely don't want to reward your child for going into that snit. So think about another way is what would be a positive way of rewarding them. So you already said you, you think he gets more attention. So, um, a positive way of putting this is to say, um, you know, to talk to him just in quick, like five seconds of like, I need to do X with your brother or sister, and then I'm going to do Y with you, you know, and to just keep bringing up, I'm looking forward to doing Y with you. So do you have a special thing that you do with this middle child? Yeah, we'll go outside and play catch. He likes doing all that kind of stuff, sports and everything. So there is kind of a, that's our thing that we do together. So I should maybe make it more of a consistent habit and let him know that it's coming at a certain time. Yes, yes, exactly. And that it should come in a way that's not triggered by him having a meltdown. Mm -hmm. Because see, then he learns that he has to have a meltdown to get attention. So it has to be triggered in some other way. And you could think of a, you know, a positive thing, like help me dress your sister and then we'll play catch. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like I'll dress your sister while you pick up the toys. And once the toys are picked up, we'll play catch. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that and they I see things from a, a realistic perspective rather than an emotional perspective. Right. And I know you, you just mentioned that, and this is something I think a lot of parents today are going through that, you know, maybe you were making your career a priority and there's only so much bandwidth that parents can handle. And if you are working also, or, you know, yes. being an entrepreneur or doing things when they're diverting your attention from that, it feels like, you know, they're taking something away from you. So I think, yeah, every day I learn, it's like, you really have to keep honing in the planning and the, you know, being intentional about the time, even like the phone. It's like all these yes. distractions now. And uh, that, that makes it more challenging to maybe 
be yeah. more intentional with your kids. Yeah. And um, I'm happy to talk about the chemicals now. Um, oh, I just yeah. wanted to get in to, uh, get to the other thing. And also, um, quickly, if I might also add, um, does your wife have any like pre-existing uh, ideas about this being the middle child or being the neglected child? I'm wondering if she could possibly be feeding that perspective in him. I don't think so. I, you know, okay. I'm, it's interesting to keep looking at because we both come from two kids where we were the oldest. So I think mm -hmm. a lot of it is just, uh, you know, I put myself in his shoes and he's got a big brother and little sister. So he's got to fight almost like uh, like your books say. He's like a, a lion or something that has to get his, his food and he needs nourish. So he's going to do what it takes to get it. And if that means throwing a fit, if that's the most effective strategy for him, that's what he's going to do. And we've got to figure out healthier ways to, to get it. Yeah. But one thing I didn't say in my book is I never, ever, ever agree with the victim view that one person has it harder and they have to fight harder. So it seems like that's, that's the view that this kid is developing. Like somehow his, his life is harder than others. And, and it's not true because once you look for that, you always find it. Whereas if you look for, well, what are the difficulties in other people's lives? You're like, oh yeah, they're hard too. Mm -hmm. So so this whole victim perspective doesn't benefit anybody, especially a child. Yeah. Especially when they when when it it see here's the thing. Once melt get having a meltdown becomes a habit, they um lose bonds with their peers um, because their peers don't want to be around the meltdown. Mm -hmm. So then what happens? Then they feel worse. Then they don't know what to do. And so then they have to have meltdowns to get attention because they don't know how, to, how else to get attention. So the main thing is what skill will help me get attention? And sometimes we have to break it down into really small steps like you know what I like you have to actually find you know arrange play dates for this child and um, yeah. you know arrange opportunities for them to build their skills um, in as an individual that's a really good one and that's one I see is separating the brothers and giving them their own time with their friends he's uh loves it and he's an angel it's just when he's competing for the attention so right i almost need to schedule one out of the house and one with this kid so yeah and that takes again that takes work as a parent and i'm yeah. like gosh can't they just you know figure it out and play like brothers but you know that's where the you know the parenting is hard kind of thing comes into play because i do i agree with you The you know i don't i want to nip this stuff in the bud when they're young because i know as you're going to talk about like their circuits are you know forming now right what did you say age age yeah. eight is like when their their peak uh peak brain is wiring itself no before age eight i mm -hmm. said <laughs> um before age eight is peak myelin and then you get another spurt in puberty um but um in terms of when you said he's an angel when you're with him but what about um him having opportunities for him to have a friend yeah whenever he does he loves it and he's like you know and in school okay. he loves it i think it only really comes into play when they're kind of competing at home over the attention so 
when he does get his alone time with a friend or anything, it's, it's mm. great. So that just, that's on me then to organize yeah. that a little more. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it is hard on the one hand to say, my brother has a friend over and I can't be part of it. Mm-hmm. So it is a challenge. Um, but it's also a fact of life that everyone has to learn because if you taught him that he had unlimited rights to, um, to control other people's interactions, that wouldn't be a good life skill for him. So, so if you could give him a positive thing, like when your brother is having a friend over, um, I, I bought this special coloring book for you to do or something, you know, is there something like that? that he Right. Could? Yeah, definitely. That's, that's a good paint, idea. And paint, I'm, water I'm, paints. Right. I, I always liked arts and crafts, so I don't know if, if he could. Yeah. I'm, you know. I'm getting good at, you know, identifying the triggers and, you know, admiring the problem. As some people say, I just want to like learn that, the, you know, as a parent, what, what you can do and seeing it from a little bit of, you know, distance that it, it helps. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so about the chemicals, so I'll go really fast through them and then we can spend a little more on serotonin. So um, dopamine is the expectation of a reward and it evolved because our ancestors didn't have food in the refrigerator. So they had to constantly look for food. And if they waited too long, then they'd be really hungry and wouldn't even have the energy to look. So dopamine makes it feel good when you're looking and expecting, and then you say, oh, look, there's something that will meet my needs and I can get it. So that's what we're always looking for. And in adulthood, we have more sophisticated concepts, but when a child, let's say first, um, when a toddler sees a toy on the other side of the room and they're like, I want that, I'm gonna go for it. And they invest energy in the pursuit so that's a healthy thing to learn to say, um, I'm going to focus my attention on taking steps toward that and it feels good. And then you build the expectation of reward and the confidence in your own ability to take steps and feel good about it. And the interesting thing that I was learning about that is, and we see this all the time with ourselves, with our kids is you know, like uh, Christmas morning is exciting, opening up all the gifts and they're all excited, but then a day later, nobody's playing with anything. So it's almost like, is it all dopamine driven? You know, it's like when you you look forward to the trip, you look forward to buying something, you think this is going to make you happy and then it it doesn't. And it seems like that's, there's something wrong with us. And what, you know, you're teaching is no, that's exactly the way you're wired and that's unintentional. Yes, it's intentional from the perspective that dopamine is wiring in information like, oh, this is something new. It feels good. I need to know about it. And then once once that information is processed, then it's not new. <laughs> so you and that the cliche, of course, is like with a drug addict that they're always chasing the first high. Mm-hmm. So the day after Christmas is never as high as Christmas. So once you've established that new high, now that's sort of a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so knowing that is, here's what I'm trying to understand is I think having knowledge about that is helpful because maybe you don't, you know, 
go buy that thing that you want because you exactly. know it's gonna burn off pretty quickly or at least you're like you can maybe explain why you're feeling depressed it's because the chemical dopamine in your body is just plummeted right um yeah yeah i um just to fyi i never use the word depressed in my book um <laughs> because um i i don't think the disease view of things is really helpful and um there's a difference between dopamine plummeting and cortisol surging because cortisol is the sort of the survival threat feeling like whoa something is really wrong whereas dopamine um i call it dopamine droop it's just like i'm so excited to buy this ice cream and as I take the last lick of ice cream, okay, now what? So that's, that's our, that's why, the, that's the joy of life is that I get to choose my next step. I don't have to make it something depressing. Mm -hmm. Got it. What else? Um, but what else as far as Christmas, <laughs> so um, there's two things. One is when you have this cliche of, I want to have a big Christmas that's not necessarily health, healthy. And sometimes it's really for the parents that wanted to make it a big Christmas for some reason. But in fact, for a kid, like too much at once, it's not appreciated. So you could just get less and you don't even have to apologize for it. And you could just tell yourself, you know, we'll use the money for something later on. But if the kid has already gotten a ton of toys from relatives, you put them in the closet the day after Christmas and you take out one a week and then it feels like Christmas every week. Yeah. And you hit on something there. A lot of this is more our issues, right? We're yeah. maybe trying to what soothe our, I don't know if it's our childhood or what, or it's just, it feels good to give people stuff, but we don't want yeah. to, you know, let that backfire and turn into bad habits. Well, and you don't want the one down feeling. You don't want your kids to think that somebody else got a better Christmas than they got. Mm -hmm. And so um, let's talk about serotonin, the one up and one down. So in the animal world, um, this research throughout the 20th century showed that animals are very uh, competitive and hierarchical. And people have always known that. People always lived alongside animals and saw how nasty they could be. But currently we don't realize that because there's this new indoctrination that animals are cooperative and empathetic. So in fact, animals um, will bite the, the monkey next to them if he takes their banana or she, you know, his females are just as bad. So the bottom line is every monkey learns, I am not gonna grab for a banana, unless I am stronger than the individual next to me, because I'd rather avoid getting bitten than to get that banana. So obviously I'm not saying that we should bite each other, but when you see that you're in a position of strength, your brain releases a little bit of serotonin and that's relaxing because that says, ah, I'm the strong one here. I can act on my urge to get that banana and meet my needs. So we are constantly comparing ourselves to others and looking to be in the position of strength because serotonin makes it feel good. So we're all doing that. And when you're um, 
that let's say you're the younger child and you're never in the position of strength. Well, you may, you know, if a person says that's not fair, well, if you look about it, there's other ways to look at it. So one of them is if you grow up in the older child and you think you're always in the position of strength effortlessly without having to do anything, that's not a very useful life skill. So every older child eventually has to go out into the world and deal with the fact that you're not always in the one position and you have to work hard for it. So, so doesn't, you know, so no one position is inherently good or bad. And the other thing is the younger child may find a way to put themselves in the one-up position. Um, and, you know, as, as we said, having a meltdown is the time-honored way of doing it. Yeah, I see that all the time. We're a very big one-upping. Uh, the brothers want to one-up each other all the time. And I'm like, maybe that's just serotonin. Maybe that's just their exactly. uh, wiring. Exactly. They want to be the uh, you know dominant kid in this situation. Who's the boss? It's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's so exactly. interesting to look at now having this lens, I feel like. And I'm hoping I can, you know, use that information to steer them in the right direction. I think, I think we're doing a great job, but it's like, I feel like any little edge I can give them where, you know, they don't yeah. understand these things, but if we can kind of, yeah, it's stuff that we, I think maybe take for granted as adults that we're supposed to know. I was reading this book and I, I've been kind of learning about psychology and these things, and it was still really eye-opening to me. So, Yes. So no one in the modern psychology world will acknowledge this. They, I mean, I, hardly anyone. They, they want that, you know, the new mentality is all peace and love and cooperation and bonding is what feels good. And they will not acknowledge that people want to be in the one-up position. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, when you want, so don't feel like you're behind because most people don't know this. So the other thing is, although we want to quote unquote, give our kids the right formation, there really is no like nice, neat answer to this problem. Like how can I train my kid to always have the joy of being in the one-up position, but without being an asshole, right? <laughs> there, there is no really good answer to that. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet just by understanding it and working on it, they're going to be much better off than someone who didn't understand and always defaulted to the one up or some people always default to the one down and that's just as unhealthy. And what, what I was reading is you're saying, so you said zero to eight and then puberty or when these kind of pathways in our brain are really carved out and yeah. a lot harder when you're older you've got a what, what do you say like a machete through a forest to really kind of carve a new path are there so these are kind of ideas um, obviously we can't just make nice friendly neural pathways when they're zero to eight we can't do all that but that's what I, when i read this i'm like well it would be nice if i could uh help steer them in the in the right direction and help them lay some better uh, asphalt in their brains yeah and you know what the big thing is um, with mirror neurons. So they are going to learn what you do. They're going to learn from what you do. They're going to learn from the way you're interacting with your wife, for example. And a lot of people, they see this, they're like, wow, I, 
you know, I just saw myself acting like my parent Mm -hmm. or I just saw my kid acting like me. So that's the best thing you can do is to model the behaviors that you're hoping to see in them. Yeah, I've al- you always hear about modeling is much more important than words, but you're saying, yeah. again, this is uh, mirror neurons. This is like your brain is actually watching this and mimicking it. That's Yeah, yeah. Right. That's, yeah. I guess, what's so interesting to me. It's like you hear this stuff and it sounds so kind of theoretical, but you're like, no, these are actual chemicals and actual mechanisms in your brain that are teaching us how to do these things. So I think that does kind of, solidify it a little more and makes it sound not as woo woo or kind of disconnect. Yeah. So, and the other that you didn't talk about is oxytocin. Um, Oxytocin. So um, oxytocin is often these days called the cuddle chemical. So the idea is it, um, it promotes um, herd behavior in animals. It's the bonding chemical and Again, people want to see the good side, but there's also a downside, which is that we find it frustrating to have to follow the herd all the time. And yet when we leave the herd, our oxytocin falls and we feel like we're going to be eaten by a predator because in nature, that's how animals protect themselves from being eaten, despite the fact that they would rather trot off because it's easier, like you get your own grass you get your own toys when you go off on your own. So we're always having that tension between wanting to be off on our own and feeling threatened when we're off on our own. And again, there's no simple right answer. It's, it's a constant weighing and choosing. Of like, in this moment, would I rather go along with the group or would I rather do my own thing? And the best we could do is just have the joy in making that choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess a lot of these things kind of go against each other. So it is almost if you choose one, you're going to miss out on the other. Yeah, yeah, sort of. I mean, for example, um, uh, I'm just trying to think like if you're at a playground and the other kids are doing something and on the one hand, You may not like what they're doing. I mean, I'm not even saying it's bad, but you may not like to do that. But on the other hand, you may not want to be left out. And so you're sort of in a lose-lose, like, oh, if I do it, then I'm doing something I don't like. But if I don't do it, then I'm left Mm -hmm. out. So (laughs) to just understand that nothing is wrong, that it's natural to feel this conflict because our animal brain, and I, I don't know how about explaining this to a kid, you, you can judge, you know, an animal has to decide, do I want to trot off to that greener pasture to get better food? Or do I want to stick with the herd when it's safer uh, from predators? So in one moment, one answer might be right. In another moment, another answer is right. So we're always making trade-offs and hard calls. And again, no use feeling victimized like, oh, why why do I have this bad life where I can't have everything at every moment? No, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. That seems like, and you said during puberty is when a lot of the, uh, your brain is wiring too. And I imagine that's what a lot of teenagers are dealing with, with peer pressure and confusion as to you know, doing stuff exactly. that they don't know is right. So 
as parents, maybe it is like understanding this better. We can are not, not, not that our kids are going to understand the, the chemical side of it. Maybe they will, but we can maybe articulate more confidently why they're feeling like this or that, that it's okay mm. and normal. I guess that's, I think a big thing is we all feel like we're in these unique positions, but you're saying everybody's going through this and they have for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. And I'm just thinking of like for your seven-year-old, I mean, they're already in a situation where let's say your child is in a park and other kids get the idea that they're going to jump off a high wall and your kid is deciding, do I want to do that or not? And in addition to wanting to be with the group, maybe they also call him a scaredy cat. So if he doesn't do it and then he's in the one down position. Mm -hmm. So to, to tell him it's natural that you want to be with your friends and it's natural that you want to be proud of your abilities like jumping in the park, but you can also be proud of your ability to protect your body and only you can make that decision. Your friends they don't care about protecting your body. You're the one that has to make that decision. So you're choosing between all of these different things. And, and then it's like you have confidence in his ability to choose. That's, and it's like that will give him, like, I know that you're a really good chooser. And then someday, like at dinner, you know, when you say, you know, would you like chicken or beef? And, you know, just remind him, oh, see, you're good at making choices. Maybe that was a bad example. Oh, I like that but, because but just, a lot know, of it boils down to... But that to, was not a useful... Yeah, how we can talk about it with them. And if we just say, don't, if your friends jump off the bridge, don't jump off the bridge, that doesn't really, it's almost just like cliche. That's probably not going to click. But if we can, exactly. we can understand that, yeah, I went through that too. That's your brain saying, you know, it wants to be part of the group, but it's also saying this. So I think it is helpful. And even just hearing you talk about it now, it kind of gives me more confidence to talk about it with them and between modeling and how we discuss this with our kids I think that's if we can do that as a parent we're doing uh, we're doing great things yeah yeah so and and my new book tame your anxiety what I talk about is ultimately the only skill is to have confidence in your own skills so if a child is saying okay consciously he knows okay I'm weighing wanting to do what my friends do, wanting to feel proud of what I can do, but also wanting to take care of my body. And I'm weighing them. And just that conscious thought and say, I'm good at weighing and I'm good at deciding. It's so mm -hmm. valuable. Yeah, and even telling our kid, you know, maybe reinforcing that you're really good at making decisions about this. That could be kind of help boost their identity that in their confidence. Yeah, but it has to be somewhat realistic because you, the, I don't know if you've heard this new book called the the nurture code the nurture, nurture something I don't it? know. Um, yeah, maybe that's it. Like if you give them too much applause for too little mm -hmm. performance, it's not really yeah. useful. So another word that's better is um what it's called micro recognition. So you're noticing when they do something good, but it's hard because maybe they don't do stuff good. So you have to notice really small examples, but um, they have to be real examples.
So you, I think you just, you're a new grandmother. Is that right? Your son had a, had a kid. Yeah. That's, that's great. How yeah. old? Yeah. She just turned one year and, um, she, uh, does not live very close to me, although they just moved a little closer. Um, but she's very, um, she doesn't like strangers and so so that's hard she she doesn't want to be touched by other people um but uh, uh uh but i no i think my son and his wife are doing a really good job i i see how hard it is and you know how tired and how much responsibility um i saw them doing something really good at her birthday party i should just mention it because it was it really i was so amazed at how I got triggered. So their daughter has all these toys around her, like, you know, a modern toddler. And yet when another kid was brought into the room, she zoomed in on that kid's toy like <laughs> you couldn't believe. And I had just seen another kid do that to her, that the other, the other kid entered the room and she's stared at the toy that my granddaughter was playing with. So this is mirror neurons, that a toy in someone else's hands is more interesting than any other toy in the universe. So first to understand that it's not like that something is wrong with this kid or that kid, but that's how, if you read the mirror neuron studies, they're, you know, interesting. So, um, uh, so my granddaughter makes a beeline over to this kid with this toy. And, and she really just very politely just sat there and <laughs> stared at him and stared at it. And the kid was six months older than her. So he was very verbal and he was like, <laughs> no way, this is my toy. You're not going to touch it. And I couldn't believe how triggered <laughs> I was that I wanted to go and tell that kid, look, you got seven <laughs> rings, give her one of them, you know? Or to just, I thought, he probably wouldn't even notice if I just take one of those rings and gave it to her. But fortunately, it wasn't my home and my kid. And I, I don't know if I really would have done it. But, you know, I just sat there and I watched. And so what my granddaughter did after a few minutes, she got bored of getting no results. So she turned around and looked at her own toys. Then she looked back at him. Then she looked at her own toy, back and forth. You could almost see the wheels turning, you know. And finally, she goes back to her own toys. But, and I think she watched him from a distance. But the happy ending is that like a half hour later, this, um, this older boy, um, he had one of her birthday toys. And he was old enough to use it correctly. And she was not old enough to even understand, whoa, that's my toy. Um, but she saw him using it correctly. And she was ecstatic. And she zooms over to him. And he gave it to her this time. And his father applauded him and said, oh, you share. How nice that you share. So what they were doing, and you learn this from dog training, is to reward the behavior you want and ignore the behavior you don't want. So rather than condemning the child for not sharing and then making a scene and making defensiveness, they just said, you know, well, that's sort of age appropriate. So we're just not going to say any, we're not going to make a scene, but then 
when they do share, you know, when he did share, you know, that um, they rewarded him. And also my granddaughter did the right, the right thing by not grabbing, you know. So, so I was so glad to see sort of a happy ending, you know. So what is the, da- what is the downside then of uh, condemning? Because that's our instinct all the time, right? Is to say, no, give that back. Well, actually, that hadn't played out. If she had grabbed the toy or made a scene, then, you know, that would have, you know, so that really wasn't part of it. What, mm-hmm. what just happened was he just was not ready to share. Um, and they were letting him know that he got to choose when he was ready to share so that, um, and maybe he, on some level, he understood that the second toy was not his. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, so if she would have grabbed, then I think at her age, that what most people say is distraction, that um, just bringing them in another room with another activity um, because they're not old enough, you know, sometimes, but depending on what she did, if she just grabbed or if she was actually violent, you know, if she's violent, yeah, actually, you know, you say something, but again, you don't say it in anger. That's another thing I didn't learn because I, I was never, nobody ever explained anything to me in a calm tone. So that was not on my menu of parenting. Mm-hmm. It was either you get angry or you do nothing. And I didn't want to get angry. So I was mostly doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, saying something in a nice tone, like, wow. what? A... And the, the thing about saying something in a nice tone is it does not get immediate results. So you have to have your adult confidence that it does get results in the long run. And the way you learn that is quite mind blowing. It's like you may say something and then you, your toddler doesn't respond but then you hear them repeating that to somebody else that's good yeah that's a lot of parenting too is you you don't really see the rewards the feedback loop is not very short term and that can be hard for us yes yes and that was the that was the other subject you brought up was about what to do for your own sanity and so you need some of your own time to do things that you find is short run rewarding but it's hard because there's so little time and you know, how do you take that time for yourself? And then your wife works and she wants downtime. And um, so, so it's hard, but sometimes you can find strategies. And one example would be if there's a hobby you love that you could share with your child to say, you know, I'm really tired. I would really love to just do X. Do you want to do X with me? That's good. And alone time still, still important. So I think learning to uh, schedule it, you know, maybe so it's not just waiting until you're ready to blow, putting it on the calendar. I'm learning that, you know, stuff that you don't, you take for granted when you're single and don't have all these responsibilities. Yeah. But another thing is like, let's say you're really longing to read a certain book and you, you even explain to the kid, you know, I really just so much wanting to read this book um and for 15 minutes if they would not talk to you that they can sit on your lap they can maybe listen to something with earphones or play with their own thing so they can be next to you but just not talk to you for this timer of 15 minutes Mm -hmm. 
And then that will grow beyond 15 minutes. But in the, in the short run, it gives you downtime in a, in a real doable way. Right. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of, you know, I've been reading also about habit building. And I, I think that's a lot of what you talk about in this book of habits of a happy brain is make it something you enjoy or when you're feeling this urge to drink or do something that, you know, you probably shouldn't do. It's finding something to, you know, maybe you're not give yourself, give yourself right. That's healthier. And also, what do you say? Recognizing that these are chemicals firing in your brain and it's gonna, the easier path is to do what you've always done. And also that the habit you had before, the reason you have it is because it met a need before. So if you could figure out what need you were meeting before and then meet it another way. So the classic example, um, drinking is what need are people meeting. So for one person, it's socializing for another person it's distracting for another person they can feel like they're in the one-up position when they're drinking so whatever it is you need to meet that need in another way let's take a quick break for our dad tip of the week brought to you by kickstart reading do you have kids between the ages of three and six I've got two boys, and when my older son was going into kindergarten, my wife and I quickly learned that we had no idea how to teach him how to read. We found Kickstart Reading and watched one two-minute video together, and you could see his confidence take off. Bonus, I felt like dad of the year. Here's another dad talking about how Kickstart Reading is helping his boys learn how to read. Hey there, this is Chris Heller, and I'm a big fan of Kickstart Reading. Each morning before school, I show a video to my four-and-a-half-year-old son, and now his little two-year-old brother is getting in on the action as well. I'm a big fan of the videos. Highly consumable and engaging for young boys. Definite recommend for all parents out there who are looking to get their kids off to the right start with reading. Kickstart Reading. Go to kickstartreading.com and use the code DAD to get 65% off right now. That's D-A-D, DAD. See? It works. Kickstartreading.com. Now back to the show. So we do like to do a dad tip of the week, and now your son is a new dad. Do you have any? We've gone over a lot here, but any tips maybe you could give as a yeah for a new dad out there? So one, one thing that's, that's so hard for me to process, like when I see little kids and I think, oh, they're so cute. I would love to have a little kid here right now. And all the effort I went through with my kids, but the time that they were in that, you know, cute little kid stage was so short. It went by in the blink of an eye and now I can hardly remember it. And when you see other people's kids, you think, Oh, it looks so nice. So it's basically to say that you will later think of this as the time in your life and wish you had it <laughs> and kick yourself for like, why didn't I enjoy it more? And yet I fully understand that while you're in it, it's so hard to enjoy. But that's basically the thing. It's like if you could just take one minute every night to remind yourself, like, what did I enjoy about this? that I want to hold on to so that when they're grown up and gone, that I can remember this good moment. I like that because I think that's something else you talk about a lot are these kind of one minute or really quick three reminders a day of something you're good at or that are good. Because I think I suffer from, and a lot of people is this, it's unrealistic expectations that you're supposed to be happy all the time, that 
parenting is these people all say it's the best time of your life treasure it <laughs> and it's like where, did you say that then or is that just uh you know hindsight <laughs> yeah, exactly no you don't so that's why if like you need to take a snapshot and the irony is the way your brain takes a snapshot is whatever chemicals are flowing because they are literally paving the neural pathways so the bad moments create memories very easily <laughs> mm -hmm. and and so another way to create memory is repetition so when you have a small moment of reward but just repeat that to yourself for one minute sort of storing it so that you can remember it and it's not just about the kids but about you like wow i did the right thing today i'm so glad of the way i did that mm -hmm. right yeah because i know we talk about this with a friend sometimes how gratitude almost seems like kind of disingenuous and it's like oh i'm glad that uh you know the sky is blue it doesn't really matter yes, but i think you had exactly. a good good take on that is think about something specific you did or that you contributed to yeah exactly and um, uh, I should tell you a funny story. Um, my daughter just got married at age 35, and I had to do a toast at her wedding. And, you know, the parent often, I'm sorry, I'm just hearing a noise outside, trying to walk away from it. So, no, that's not right. Uh, the parent um, tells a little story. Um, and so I remembered when my daughter was like seven, she started her own travel agency and it's so funny because travel agencies don't even exist now but now i sort of remember that i love to travel and i brought her to this travel agency and like we'd be sitting there doing nothing and she'd be bored and i'd be under a lot of pressure trying to entertain her and keep her calm which like i was too easily sucked into that but um she took it in she stored it to her having a travel agency was like a meaningful thing and then we would go in her room and sit down at her desk and tell her where we wanted to go and she would call a company to get our tickets so it's just amazing how kids are storing what is going on around them yeah their memories are incredible like he'll my son will tell me something that happened this minor thing i can't remember yesterday but i guess that's the uh, the wiring in their brains yeah. it's all fresh it's uh what filled with myelin or something yes that's part of it and the other part of it is like they don't have any priorities right <laughs> like storing stuff is the only thing they have to do whereas you are focused on so many goals and they have no prioritizing and it'll be interesting because from seven to eight is um this is when your son's myelin will decrease and i don't know if you remember the part of the book about what is the educational value of less myelin? And you may, it'll be interesting if you see it. The value is that instead of just being a sponge, because a sponge is random, it doesn't prioritize information. But once you have less myelin, then instead of building a new branch on your tree, you add leaves to the branches you already have. So your son will see things through the lens of what he already knows. And to say, how does this relate to what I already like and dislike? How does this refine my focus rather than just taking it all in as 
equally, all equally important. Yeah, it is cool to see their, some of their questions. They're stumping me and I'm like, how did he come up? My wife is like blown away sometimes by his curiosity and how he comes up with these explanations. It's like, what would be like, what is he asking? Uh, well, he'll just like, we'll even ask like, why does a tiger have whiskers or something? And you know, he'll come up with an explanation that it's, uh, to camouflage himself or I forget what it was, but it, I was just like, that's a really good way of thinking. <laughs> and, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's it's, great. It's part of Maybe the, uh, it was in one of his books. Yeah. Yeah. So one other thing. So another thing we didn't really touch on, but kind of the, challenge of parenting not talking about kids here but you know the feelings of isolation and am i doing a good job and you know kind of the i imagine up and down roller coaster of chemicals you get just as an adult being a parent and i know one of the things you talked about was uh legacy and how legacy kind of triggers some happy chemicals and maybe that's something we can think about how does how does that work and what are your thoughts on just how parents make yeah 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 yeah, that's a good topic. So, of course, your kids are your legacy automatically, but you have maybe some things that are more meaningful to you than others. And if you think, if my kid carries on my ex, I will be so happy. And um, that's a little bit of selfish reward for you that helps to increase the reward feeling in your daily life. And one simple example would be, what did your parents really want you to carry on? And maybe it's something that you don't even really like it that much or agree with it that much, but maybe when you do it just for them, you have a good feeling about it. Mm -hmm. And so you could, you know, you could ask your kid to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, is that why there's a lot of, uh, football dads that just want their sons to relive their yeah, uh, glory days yeah and my son the doctor <laughs> yes well that's the other huge subject is not overly projecting um, using them to um, meet our needs and get our rewards through them so i guess legacy is a way to do it consciously and a way to limit it to say i can't make them a clone of me so let me just focus on one or two small things that also respect who they are as a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. And I, I just think in general, what I've taken from, you know, reading and watching your videos and learning is a big problem is this, our kind of expectation that we should be happy all the time. And that's what everybody yeah. else is doing. And really, it's not just you but it's you know the chemicals that you're like not really wired to be like this and i guess i was trying to like figure out why how that can be helpful but i guess it's just what liberates you from this expectation and yes exactly and it especially liberates you from the social comparison of thinking everybody else has got it going on in their parenting mm -hmm. you know and what am i doing wrong right right it's true. I mean, social media, a whole other beast. I know you have your thoughts that we get a little, uh, we're a little overreacting about the dangers of it, but I think it is a, a whole other beast that we're contending with of a comparison machine, but something we'll, we'll yeah. stay mindful of, not, not to overindulge in that feeling. Yes, yes, exactly. And um, people have always been making social comparisons and uh, this is a new way of doing it. Um, right. But the, the alternative is not to 
it's not about social media. It's creating that positive feeling about what you are doing, your skills, your moments of success. Um, and if you didn't have social media, you'd find another way to make social comparisons. And so you have to keep working it. You have to keep doing it because your brain will keep going to the social comparison. And you know what else? Um, here's a big thing. Your kid will then do it. You know, when, when you go to a public place, your kid will be noticing what other kids have and comparing. So if that doesn't already like, you know, that'll like really, you know, tug at your heartstrings because you don't want your kid to miss out on whatever. So you really have to get command of your own social comparison impulse in order to not be like obsessively sucked into your, you know, exaggerating your child's uh, one down feelings. A simple example of that, um, the, the cliche about if your kid didn't get invited to a party and making that the end of the world, which parents so easily do. So we have to say that just as we struggle with these issues, our kids will struggle with them and it will tug at our heartstrings. Loretta, this is great stuff. Where can, where can people find more about, about what you're doing and writing about? Um, InnerMammalInstitute.org. InnerMammalInstitute.org. It has everything about my books, videos, podcasts, and everything else. Yeah, I have to give you credit. Not everybody's going to go and read a book, but even your videos, they're like five minutes long and they're fun. And like, I love the they're creative and they really explain it in like a entertaining way that you just, you want to keep getting more of it. So good, good dopamine to keep learning about how your brain works. I think it's, it's important for everybody. It's something we all don't net always want to look at, but I do think it's, it's helpful, especially when you're raising kids. It's like, you kind of want to know why we act the way we do. So maybe we can help, help guide our kids to a, to a good life. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I wish I had a father like you. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate it, Loretta. Enjoy the, uh, enjoy the grandkid. And uh, thanks for being on the dad, the best I can show. Sure. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for listening to the Dad the Best I Can show. Go take five seconds, hop on over to dadthebestican.com and sign up with your email to get weekly updates, dad tips in your mailbox, get your questions answered on the show. That's dadthebestican.com. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Actually, five stars. We could do better than that. Brooks. Infinity stars, Cameron, how many stars? Infinity thousand. Infinity thousand. You got to one-up them in this household. Thanks. See ya.